So awesome to see what God has done in this facility uh, over the years. All right, you can open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. As we get started, I have uh, a question for you. Are you ready for winter? Because it's here, isn't it? It's here. I made the mistake of waiting too long to get our uh, outdoor furniture in the shed. So I was out freezing yesterday, putting it all away, brushing the ice off of it. And I have a question for you also. Do you know that there is such a thing as an ice quake? Have you ever heard of an ice quake? Ice can cause an earthquake underneath your house. It's called a cryoseism or a frost quake or an ice quake, the sudden fracturing of soil or rock caused by rapid freezing of water in saturated ground. Some such seismic events are sometimes mistaken for true earthquakes because they produce seismic vibrations, loud booms, jolts, and shaking at the ground surface. Watch out, that's what's coming. Are you ready for the ice quakes? Well, maybe you didn't know that ice can cause an earthquake. I've got something else that causes an earthquake that we're going to learn about today, prayer. Today we're learning about prayer. And when the disciples got together to pray, following their interrogation in front of the high priest, the ground shook under the house where they met. Prayer caused an earthquake. And I want you to know that even though when you pray, the ground doesn't shake every time, thankfully, all right, it would freak your neighbors out and scare your pets. Even though the ground doesn't shake every time, there are ripples through the spiritual realm every time you pray. Today, we're going to learn how to pray fervently. Let's begin a sermon about prayer with prayer. Jesus, as your disciples asked you so long ago, Teach us to pray. Show us that your throne room is open to the petitions of your people night and day. Whether we're on our way to a stressful meeting, whether we are lying awake late at night, worried, whether we wake up in the middle of the night afraid, whether we're overjoyed at some milestone in our lives, we should pray without ceasing. But we don't. Often we neglect prayer. We have not because we ask not. When we ask, as James warns us, we ask to spend things on our own pleasures. So today I pray that you would turn us from our selfishness, from our dullness in prayer, and revitalize our prayer lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go in Acts 4, 23. So they just got released. If you missed the last couple sermons, what's going on? Well, Peter and John healed a guy who had been lame from birth. That guy got super excited, started jumping around and telling everyone God healed him. Then the authorities showed up, arrested Peter and John, put him in jail for the night, hauled him in front of the ruling council and said, stop talking about this Jesus. And they're like, no, judge for yourselves if it's right for us to obey you rather than God. So they kept threatening them, but they couldn't find a way to punish him because the, the guy was still jumping and dancing, and he was so overjoyed, and they're like, well, there's no way we can punish them because they clearly did a sign. Hard hearts. Now they're released, and they go back to the rest of the folks in the church. So here we are in Acts 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, this is prayer, and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the people, peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Hey, the first thing you can write down is this. It's time to pray. Okay, write that down. It's time to pray. They got back after what should have been the most frightening ordeal of their lives. They were going to kill us. What do we do now? What do we do now? The Bible could have recorded and then they freaked out and ran around stressing and fretting and, and ran for their lives. I mean, there's a lot of Bible people who didn't respond in prayer when they were supposed to. It could have said they packed and left. It could have said they ran and hide. You know, we know what Jonah would have done, right? What Jonah would have done, he would have been like, I'm out of here. And then they traveled to the farthest end of the Roman Empire. Who knows what they could have done, but no, they stayed and they prayed. So let me ask you this. What in your life is prompting you to pray? And are you praying? Because this is a big one, okay? We just, we just got dragged in front of like the Supreme Court. They almost killed us. They said they will kill us if we keep talking about Jesus, which we are planning to do. Let's pray. What in your life is driving you to prayer right now? And how is your prayer life? What's your starting point? Here's some words that we used a couple weeks ago when prayer came up to describe how your prayer life could be. And you might want to write down a few of these. Is your prayer life fervent or dull, short, sincere, dry, simple, brief, ceaseless, grateful, formal, heartfelt, doubtful, sleepy, despairing, insecure, or zealous, fruitful, small, bold, humble, urgent, biblical, selfish, shallow, loving? What, what words describe your prayer life right now? I don't mean to condemn you. I don't mean to make you feel uh, like this is a pop quiz. I want you to discover your starting point and to honestly tell the Lord where you're at. You might need to say to God today, I'm not praying at all, and I should be. You might need to say to your family today, hey, you've heard me go on long enough about this problem, and I'm going to invite you, family, to start praying with me about it right now. I've shared this story with you in the past, but when we had uh, our phase two building program, we put all this work into it and the budget and the costs and the, the bids and all that, and then we started visiting small groups to tell people the need, and, and dear, dear, delightful saint in our church, she raised her hand and said, Pastor, what's the prayer plan? And we didn't have one. Shame on me. And that thought bubble has never left me since. Her gentle word, 
She wasn't even exhorting. She just generally wanted to know. So I always walk around saying, what's the prayer plan? What's the prayer plan? You should have that thought bubble above your head every day. What's the prayer plan? That's a wonderful question to ask somebody in your life who's freaking out over a problem. Hey, what's your prayer plan? It's time to pray. Jot this down. Well, what or who should we be praying for? What or who should you be praying for? We see here the example of the early church. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They lifted their voices together to God. Are you lifting your voice to God? Well, what or who should you be praying for right now? What problems do you have that should be driving you into the presence of God right now? We all have problems. I want to make you feel better about your problems by showing you some pictures of people who have bigger problems than you. This is going to make you feel terrific. Here's some people who have bigger problems than you. This guy stuck his head into a tree where there was a porcupine. And kaboom, he now has quite the problem. Here's another picture. Uh, this person's smoothie maker blew up while they were making a smoothie. Yikes. Big cleanup going on there. Here's the next picture. Uh, a family went on vacation and they came home and a family of cows had moved into their house. Cows got loose from a nearby farm. They couldn't find them and they had gone into this house. Somehow a door was left open and lived there for over a week. Yeah, they've got problems. And then here's the final one. This guy was proposing and he dropped the engagement ring in a gopher hole. Yeah. Yep. And uh, does that make you feel better about your problems? <laughs> it makes me feel better about mine. Uh, we all have problems. These are intended to drive us into the presence of God. The early church is setting an example for us. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. What or who should you be praying for? Maybe you want to write down a few specific people or some problems you have that you are going to commit to pray about. You have loved ones in your life who are going through some things. Who are the people who are on your radar? And you kind of, you know, oh, I heard, you know, you, you were aware that they're going through something, but you haven't been praying for them yet. Who are the people who you are going to commit to praying for this week? Having a list will, will help you. It's good for the heart to make sure your prayer list goes well beyond your own concerns and you actually lift up the needs of other people. The Bible invites us to pray for our friends, for one another, for our family, our leaders, for our ministry partners, and even for our enemies. That might be a hard name to write down. Who or what should you be praying for? I like what Tim Keller says about prayer because Jesus himself said so much about prayer. Tim Keller wrote the book called Prayer, which I would highly recommend to you. And here's what he said. Jesus taught his disciples to pray healed people with prayers, denounced the corruption of the temple worship, which he said should be a house of prayer, and instituted that some demons could, uh, insisted that some demons could only be cast out through prayer. He prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and tears, and sometimes all night long. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying, and he was transfigured with the divine glory as he prayed." When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and the church on the night before he died and then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, on the cross, he died praying. Amen. 
His example, his example shows us how to pray without ceasing. Hey, are you praying? Are you praying? What or who should you be praying for? And then jot this down. This is a helpful tool we use here. Remember fit. Remember fit. If you want to improve your prayer life, picking any one of these four words and, and improving it will help. Frequency, intensity, time, and together. Frequency means pray more often. I'm going to pray in the morning and at night. I'm going to pray more often. I'm going to pray each day in the morning. More frequently will give you a better prayer life. You can also increase the intensity of your prayer life. When nobody's home and you go downstairs and you're all by yourself, let the Lord hear it. Well, what does he care if my voice is low or high? I mean, it doesn't make any difference. Jesus, it says Jesus, the Son of God, was heard because of his loud cries and tears. This is what humans do. We cry out to a God who loves us. It's not, it's not a grocery list. Bless Aunt Edna with her broken toe. Bless my children. Help them not to be rascals. Bless. Grocery list done. Amen. Yeah! Is that love? Is that, is that a loving cry up to a heavenly father? Is that a desire for the love of heaven to fall upon you? That uh, a grocery list? It, throw your whole soul into it, Charles Spurgeon says. Frequency, increase the intensity of your prayer life. Time. So this is where you can say, I'm going to linger longer. I'm going to carve out a nice sweet chunk of time. You know, maybe I was going to do five minutes, but I'll sit for 30. I was going to do 30, I'll sit for 60. I'm going to stretch it out, and I am going to pray for a longer, I'm going to abide in the presence of the Lord, or togetherness. You can increase the number of people who are praying. Frequency, intensity, time together. You, you crank any one of those up, and your prayer life gets better. Crank all of them up, and your prayer life gets incredible. So remember, fit, stop fretting, and start praying Prayer is a greater power than the Jewish council and than the mighty Roman Empire, greater than any power in all creation. Are you praying? Are you praying? It's time to pray. Okay, number two, jot this down. Because God is the sovereign Lord. This is why we pray. Because God is the sovereign Lord. That's why we pray. It says here, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then we'll actually skip down, where it says in verse 27, truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel, to do whatever, listen, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what we learn here is God is the sovereign Lord. And because God is the sovereign Lord, you can pray to him with boldness and confidence, knowing he's in complete and total control over all the seemingly chaotic things in your life. God's sovereignty is a wonderful attribute of God. And the fact that he's called Lord also ties into his total command over all of the cosmos. Now, we could talk for months about the sovereignty of God, but here we are going to narrow our focus onto God's sovereignty that was displayed at the cross and God's sovereignty that's displayed in creation and over all of the powers of humanity. 
God's sovereignty at the cross, it's clear that he was in control of everything that was going on. It says here in verse 28, they did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So God the Father had decided in his will that this would happen. Jesus laid down his life willingly. He consented to the Father's will. So this was all happening under the jurisdiction and under the providence of God. But wait, God can't do anything evil, right? Correct. So God in his nature is only always perfectly good. He's therefore holy and set apart from all sin. James 1.13 makes this clear. There is not even a shifting of shadows, uh, right, in, in God's nature. And if you read in James 1, it says sin comes from our nature, not his. In 1 John 1.5, it says that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So get, this is a proper biblical understanding of the sovereignty of God. Get his goodness settled. He is only good all the time, and he cannot do anything evil. Well then, does that mean the cross was wrong? Absolutely. In John 19, 11, Jesus told Pilate, you would have no power over me if it was not given to you from above, and therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Sin. This was absolutely sin. Satan himself entered into Judas to betray the Son of God, so this is unmistakably sin. But it is sin that is under the governing providence of God who is allowing this to take place. Do you see how God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are both upheld in Scripture? And therefore, God is the one who's in total control, orchestrating everything, and yet he is not guilty in any way for the sinful choices men are making. He is, in fact, thwarting them and overruling them and undermining them every step of the way while he is allowing them to take place. This is how Joseph could say to his brothers, who faked his death and sold him into slavery many years later, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. God can mean anything for good, even the cross of Christ. In Matthew 26, 24, Jesus said, The Son of Man will be betrayed as it is written, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. It would be better if he had never been born. That's Judas. You see both the foreknowledge of God. God was talking about Judas' betrayal hundreds of years before it happened. And now when it was time, Judas fulfilled what God knew in advance would happen, what God allowed to happen. But Judas did not act independently, severed from a holy providential God. It's impossible for humans to ever do that. Whether you sin or obey, you are doing it under the divine providence of God, and you'll be held accountable for how you respond to a holy God. So God is sovereign and man is responsible. Both are upheld at the cross. So what do we conclude? Well, we see in Scripture here that God's sovereignty should not puzzle you. It should propel you. The disciples did not sit around puzzled about this. They were propelled to prayer and bold witnessing. It shouldn't paralyze you. It should propel you. Wow, we serve a God who rules all, governs history, guides every decision, and will condemn the wicked? Wow, let's go! 
Let's go. It should, a proper biblical understanding of God's sovereignty will propel you. It will not paralyze you. In fact, if you have a bit of a paralyzing, puzzling view of God's sovereignty, why would you pray at all? Some people are confused about God's sovereignty as if, well, if it's all scripted in advance, then what's my part? And they suddenly are puzzled and paralyzed and not praying or perhaps not praying boldly. That's not the example we see in scripture. God's sovereignty biblically propels God's people to act because we are responsible to do so. So why do we pray? Because God is the sovereign Lord. And jot this down. Let's focus in on creation. He is the creator of everything. He's the creator of everything. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He's sovereign over creation. When you recognize God is sovereign over creation, you can pray boldly. You can trust him no matter what happens. Though the oceans rise and the mountains fall, God is sovereign over creation. And if he controls the ground beneath my feet, it doesn't matter what's happening at ground level. He's got everything in his hands. I can trust him. He's sovereign. How do you feel right now about your problems? Are you kind of caving into despair? Are you fretting with anxiety? Maybe you're believing the lie that God doesn't have the power to help you. Hey, look around. Look at creation. God is sovereign, and therefore we do not lose heart. There are many things God has created in immensity that are awesome. Here's a few pictures. God made everything that's up in the heavens, and our sun, this giant ball of burning gas, uh, is up right now, which is essential. Our planet is teeny tiny over there. God keeps our little marble uh, going around and around and around without a, without a track, without, you're not wearing a harness right now, right? But he keeps it going and he keeps our sun a safe distance burning in all of the planets that he fashioned by hand. His sovereignty is over creation and there are billions of galaxies that he has formed and that he continues to carry each day. What about the animal kingdom? Here's another picture of what God has made. God has created everything on land and, and in the sea. He made wonderful things that he designed, gave them a mind, gave them the ability, instinct, a habitat to live in. He made everything. And he opens his hand and satisfies the desires of every living creature. I hope when you are reawakened to the very sovereignty of God over all creation that your problems get so, so, so small. They might feel very large, but trust me, when you bring them into the presence of God, he's not going to have to call for backup to come and help him lift your problem. He's actually going to have a hard time seeing it because it's so small. And he's going to reach down and pick it up effortlessly because he's sovereign over all creation. Do you see the immensity of our God and his intelligence and his presence over creation? We pray because he is the sovereign Lord. And jot this down, he's in control of all human affairs and events, all of history. It says in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God had decided in heaven in advance how it would all play out. People were choosing freely. 
but never independently of the sovereign providence of God. That's what it means to be human. We do have choices, and our choices are life and death. But we never act independently of the sovereignty of a holy God. He is always the one governing everything. He's in control of all human affairs and events. When you recognize that, you can pray with confidence. And let's face it, when it comes to things that seem to be way out of our control, the governing authorities would be one of them. And here the disciples are saying, when it comes to, you know, you've got Herod, you know, he was the Tetrarch and kind of the king of the region. Pilate, he was kind of the governor of the region. Then you got the Gentiles, the Romans, the guards, the centurions, everybody. It's so uncontrollable. Not for God. Not for God. God can control that machine like nothing. So my son Jared uh, has been getting ready to get his driver's license. And yesterday we went to the DMV, or Friday we went to the DMV because the day had come where he was eligible to get his driver's license. It was his first trip to the DMV. And so I was giving him a little education. We walked up and it's, by the way, it's appointment only now. People were being turned away at the door, turned away at the door if they didn't have an appointment. You had to show proof. Then you got in there and you stood in line, you got up to the counter and there was this poor mom with her stroller and her baby at the counter next to us who had lost her driver's license in California. She brought the stack of papers, she was setting it out there and I said to my son, watch, they love turning people away. And sure enough, at the end of the paperwork, the woman said, well, you don't have anything from category B. What? And she got turned away, turned away, heartless. And I said, see how it works? Well, then the lady in front of us said, I'm sorry, but there's no record in our system that you completed your driver's education class. And I was like, well, shame on me for pointing out what was going on over there. <laughs> I should have been praying for that lady, and instead I was teaching, you know. So I said, well, how can this be? I've got the form right here. Well, it doesn't matter if you have the form. It has to be entered into our system. And I'm like, well, there goes three months of our life. Here we go. So I said, well, how do we get it entered in the system? We've got to call the instructor. And, then, <laughs> and my son is just sitting there, and you know how he's feeling, right? You know how he's feeling. He's like, I'm not going to get my license today. So I go and get on the phone, and I call the driving school, and I'm like, how did this happen? Oh, we'll get it on. Anyway, she sends over the data. Somehow, somehow, and I preached on miracles a few weeks ago. Somehow, the system was updated that day, and we were able to go back, and they honored our early appointment, and Jared got his driver's license on Friday. <laughs> All right. Now, you know the DMV, right? Okay. I can't control anything about the DMV. And that's just one part of the machinery of the government. Okay, you hear what I'm saying? Your effort to try and control all of that, futile. But when they looked up at a holy God, they saw him in total control over the mighty Roman machinery. He controlled all of it. All of it. He didn't have to use mind control. There are times in the Bible where God commandeers a person's ability to function temporarily, okay? He didn't have to do it that way. He just let him go. Let him decide. Let him go. And in the end, his will prevailed. Do you recognize God is in control over all human affairs and events? And do you see in your life when you feel like things are out of control, yes, they're out of your control. They're not out of God's control. Yes, you can't do anything to control that person or that problem, but he's in total control. So where are you believing the lie that this, this thing you're dealing with is beyond the control or interest 
or involvement of God. That, you've got to repent of believing that lie so that you will pray with boldness to a sovereign God. The greatness of our God should draw us into his glorious presence full of confidence. One last point on this. Taylor Swift tickets went on sale last week. Oh my goodness, did it blow up the internet. Ticketmaster assured the world that they would be able to handle the load of filling Soldier Field twice, and then they added a third concert because of the demand. Three stadium events, and they released, you know, this link to the insiders or whatever. It blew up the whole internet. Ticketmaster apologized. We cannot handle all of these tickets. They canceled the sale to the general public, and now people are really upset because they can't go see Taylor Swift. Now look, this is man's effort to see the glory of a human, and they are so frustrated because they can't get into a stadium to get nosebleed seats where they can maybe look down and see her. Do you recognize the immense glory of a holy God, and do you recognize that his throne room is open to you right now? Do you understand that? Do you understand that? What has been open to you could, is so much greater than filling Soldier Field three times. It's incredible glory. God's presence is more glorious than Soldier Field times infinity. If the curtain of heaven could be opened up right now, the magnitude of the glory of God would thrill you to tears and set you trembling on your face. If you had breath remaining, you'd shout for joy at the top of your lungs. And the price paid for you to access God's presence is greater than all the stars in the sky, the precious blood of the Son of God. Why don't we go more often? Right? Why don't we go more often? The glory of a sovereign God. It's time to pray. Because God is the sovereign Lord, jot this down, and he spoke to us by the Holy Spirit. And he spoke to us by the Holy Spirit. Further confidence is found in God's word when you pray. We learn a lot about the scripture in here. It says in verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now pause there. He's quoting Psalm 2. Listen to what we learn about the Bible. This is bibliology. This is an area of doctrine. What do we believe about the Bible? It says, God, who through the mouth of our father David, so whose mouth is it? David. Okay, track with me here. Whose mouth was it? David said by the Holy Spirit. David said by the Holy Spirit. This is why we believe the Bible is God's word. This isn't David thinking up some thoughts. This is David saying by the Holy Spirit, and here comes Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They see the Bible coming alive in their life. This whole psalm was about why do the kings try? God's will is going to prevail. How futile it is to oppose a holy, awesome God. They see the Bible springing into life. So the word of God gives us tremendous confidence because we believe that God's word will come true. God spoke to us by his Holy Spirit. That's how prophecy happened. So they're quoting a prophecy. And the prophecy being fulfilled gives them tremendous confidence to pray. God's word and God's sovereignty gives us tremendous confidence to pray. So jot this down. Open your Bible during prayer. How should we pray? Well, they've got, they've got Psalm 2 right on their tongue. Open your Bible during prayer. Remind yourself of the great things God has done. You might want to kneel down and just get Psalms open, right? It's my go-to. Just go to Psalms. 
These are songs and these are prayers that are already written out for you. I love the 60s. If you're like, well, I don't know where to go in the Psalms, go go to the 60s. Anywhere would be great. But there's especially great stuff there. And just pray God's words back to him. Get your Bible open during prayer. You will find psalms of honest praise, thanksgiving, lament, renewal. We did a whole series on psalms last year. It's called Faith in Every Season. Songs. It's called Songs for Every Season. So if you'd like to jumpstart your prayer life, go on the app and find that series, Songs for Every Season, and those sermons will get you into a psalm and will help you to, to pray that out to God. Open your Bible during prayer. And jot this down, believe God's word will be fulfilled. Believe God's word will be fulfilled. They believe God's word is going to be fulfilled here, right? Verse 29, now Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They believe this is going to be fulfilled. It's not over. It's not over. The Bible is going to continue to spring into life. They believe it. They believe God's word is going to be fulfilled. So my question for you right now is, where in your life are you waiting for God to prove faithful? What area of your life are you waiting? You don't see it yet. You kind of see the opposite of what God said would happen. You've been treated wrong. You've received news that's confusing or terrible. You have a relationship that's broken and you've tried your best, but you can't fix it anymore. You see some Something on the horizon. The future is kind of what's challenging you. And our hearts can actually be burdened by things that have already happened in the past. Do you need to be praying about things that have already happened? Lord, I still can't make sense of that. Lord, I'm still not at peace with that. Lord, do, you, do you need to say, why, why was your will not done there? You can lift your past up to God. Right now might be the greatest burden. Right now, you might be like, I'm in it right now. You might need to lift up your present with actual burdens you have. Maybe your stress is coming from the future. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. Maybe the future is what's freaking you out. Hey, believe God's word will be fulfilled with everything that is in your past or present or your future. Pray and get your Bible open and, and bring these promises to a holy God. And I remember the Apostle Paul, when he was on a sinking ship later in the book of Acts, he stood up and he said, I believe it will be to me exactly as I have been told. That's before they're all doggy paddling to shore, you know, holding on to planks. He believed it before he saw it. And remember what Jesus said to his disciples. What I'm doing you will not understand right now, but after you will understand. And it really is as simple as that. You don't know what he's doing now. But after, you will. You will. So he spoke to us by the Holy Spirit. Open your Bible. Believe God's word will be fulfilled. So it's time to pray. Who should you be praying for? Remember, fit. Because God is the sovereign Lord, Lord over creation, Lord over all human affairs and events. And he spoke to us by the Spirit. Get your Bible open and believe the promises will be fulfilled. And then number four, so ask him to make you a bold witness. So ask him to make you a bold witness. Everything is driving to this. this. This whole prayer thing, what they're asking is this. Grant, verse 29, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's their prayer. Lord, 
Lord, help us to speak. Lord, help us to be bold witnesses. Lord, help me to tell. Help me to tell everybody because I just got threatened and my life's getting harder and I need courage to go out there and keep talking about and living for you. Maybe, you, maybe that is your prayer request. Lord, help me to stay in the Christian faith. Help me to stay on the Christian path. Help me to stay connected to the church, Lord. Make me a bold witness. How do we do that? Well, we want to create a culture of invitation. We want to continue to reach out. How do I be a bold witness? Well, it starts when we just invite people to church, right? Invite people to church. That's what it means to be a bold witness. Hey, you want to, want to come to church? December is the best month to invite people to church. It is. Hey, do you want to come to church? No. What are you, the Grinch? Everybody goes to church in December. You know what? Best month to invite people to church. We actually have a missional theme this year for our Christmas theme. Do you want to see our Christmas theme? Nobody's seen it yet. I'm debuting it right now. All right, so check it out. Our Christmas theme this year, going along with our Acts theme, is Go Tell It on the Mountain. That's our theme. Go tell it on the mountain. You see how it ties into our theme in Acts. Let's go change the world. Go tell it on the mountain. It's very missional. And that starts when we go and invite people to church. Are you going to invite people to Christmas uh, this year? There's many ways you can do it. You know, you can figure out our Christmas service schedule, but we also have door hangers if you want to get, you know, if you want to get creative. We've got these in the lobby and in the back of the room. You can go around your neighborhood and put these on their doors, and that would be a way. But hey, let's be bold witnesses. That starts with a culture of invitation. And then jot this down. Here's how you become a bold witness. Lord, take care of my threats. Lord, take care of my threats. What is, what is opposing your courage? What is opposing your willingness to live loud and proud for Jesus? What are the threats? Uh, it, it could be socially, there's just people pressuring you to shut up, stay quiet, stop with this whole nonsense, and there just could be people, right? Uh, it could be fear that you could get in trouble, lose your job, or it could just be laziness, it could be sloth, it could be neglect, but Lord, what, what are the threats? What's getting in the way of me being a bold witness? What's making you feel unsafe or unmotivated? Lord, take care of my threats. Do you have things in your life that are genuinely threatening you right now? Your body, your mind, your soul, your heart, your family, your whatever. Do you have genuine threats? Bring them to the Lord. Bring them to the Lord. Lord, this is what's making me freak out. This is what's keeping me up at night. Tell him about it. He can use that very thing you wish wasn't, you, you wish wasn't in your life. He can use that very thing to make you a bold witness. We all love God's stories, right? If I'm honest, I like God's stories. I just wanted to be real short. This area of my life blew up, and then by morning it was over. Glory. <laughs> you know, kind of like what I prefer is, remember when you were in elementary school and you learned how to write a haiku? Remember that? What was it, like three lines? Japanese poetry, was it? I, I'd like a God haiku. Just Ryan's life blew up, God came through, and it's over. There's my God haiku. Very quick, very fast. But, you know, really the stories that stretch on for months or years are God's best stories. Lift it up to him. Lord, take care of my threats internally, externally, socially, emotionally, financially, medically. Take care of my threats. And then jot this down. Lord, answer me with power in unbelievable ways. Lord, answer me with power in unbelievable ways. Do you have any specific bold requests to lift up to the Lord? Is there anything our God can't do? Are you praying? Are you calling out to him? Here's the prayer gears. We've used this tool before. This is a good way to make sure your prayer life is biblically balanced. You have to pray boldly, uh, confidently, humbly, lovingly, and persistently. Okay, all those gears need to be turning or your prayer life is missing something biblical. Sometimes people are like, 
you know, they're, they're uh, praying like humbly, like, well, just your, your will be done, just whatever you want. That's humble, but that's not bold. See, um, you have to pray boldly, move this mountain into the sea confidently. I believe I will have what I ask, right? While you're waiting, humbly, not my will, but yours be done. Lovingly, right? If a husband is not loving his wife, his prayers are hindered. So you're loving and you're ask, seek, knock. You're just never giving up, never giving up, never giving up. You get those gears turning. Lord, answer me with power in unbelievable ways and God will do incredible things in your life. And then jot this down. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Everybody say, wow. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, bigger wow. Room where they were in was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Okay, that's power to create a whole world in there. Uh, ground shaking, cool, filled with the Holy Spirit. Incredible, unfathomable. God in us, that's the point. Okay, ground shaking, not the point. Filled with the Spirit, that's the point. You can be filled with the Spirit. You don't need the ground shaking. You can be filled with the Spirit to become a bold witness. This is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to abide in you from the moment of salvation. You can't get more of him, but he can get more of you. You can be filled with the Spirit time and time again and empowered to be a bold witness. The Spirit will transform you in many ways. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit will also form you as a bold praying witness. Here am I. Use me. Send me. I hope at the end of this sermon, one thing is happening. I hope you are motivated to pray. And I hope as you pray, you become a more courageous, spirit-filled witness for the sovereign God who saved you, who controls everything in your world, who cares deeply about you, and who will use you to make a great difference in this world. Hey, let's close this sermon with a time of prayer. God, we've heard incredible things today. Incredible things. You shook the ground under the disciples when they were praying. The room swayed side to side, knocking them over because you were with them, because you heard them. Even greater than that, you filled them with the spirit of power. Father, I pray that you would, in your word, show us how we just need to pray more. We need to come into your presence and pray. Forgive us for our lack of prayer. Jesus, you asked your disciples on the night before you were crucified to come and pray with you, and they kept falling asleep, falling asleep, falling asleep. Could you not keep watch? Could you not keep watch? Pray that you might not fall into temptation. You told them, you warned them, and they didn't do it. I pray that you would help us to heed that warning. Whatever it is we're facing right now, may we lift it up to you in prayer. You are the sovereign Lord of creation and over all of human history. There's nothing that our God can't do. Forgive us for being faint-hearted. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for losing hope. Help us to pray boldly, confidently, humbly, lovingly, persistently. And I pray that as we wait, as we be strong and wait on the Lord, that you would come through for us time and time again. And make us those bold witnesses who have God's stories to share with all of those around us. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen.